Police One Academy is leading the way in high-quality, affordable training for officers nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 1,000 HD videos and 175 full-length courses in a robust learning management system. Training is certified or accepted for training credit in 35 states. Join the industry's most officer-friendly learning platform with more than 60,000 subscribers. To schedule a free demo, go to policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. I am Jim Dudley. Jim, last week we uh, got into the first of the six pillars um, that are kind of the pillars of 21st century policing, born of the uh, president's effort to, um, President Barack Obama's effort to uh, reform policing. And of course, that was uh, building trust and legitimacy. Um, The second one on their list uh, is policy and oversight. Um, next week we'll get into technology and social media, and then in coming weeks we'll look at community policing and crime reduction, training and education, and last but not least, officer wellness and safety. That one should have been first. Um, policy and oversight, uh, the word oversight. First and foremost, um, you know, I think what they're trying to get at here is to have um, more transparency and greater visibility on the part of the public into what law enforcement are doing. Um, I would argue that there's already a tremendous amount of transparency and an enormous amount of visibility into what um, police are doing because it's the most reported on thing on the news every single night, locally and nationally. Um, the, the, the broadcast doesn't lead with what happened on the stock market. The broadcast doesn't lead with what happened with the fire department. It almost always invariably leads with what happened with the police department. And, you know, in addition to that, you have you know, in every major city, you have an oversight board of some description. Uh, you have a tremendous amount of public filing of information. It's, it's one of the most transparent things in, in, the, in the world. And yet the, the, the 21st century policing um, reports, there have been multiple of them now, um, they want more oversight. They want more participation in the creation of policy, right? Yes, and I think I think you hit it on the head when you you talk about what they're demanding here. Demanding might be a harsh word, but some of the, the way these things are worded um, tend to tend to bring out a defensive posture in me, and I'm sure other um, law enforcement uh, representatives who would say we redo a lot of this stuff. So. Mm-hmm. When you, when you say have a clear and comprehensive policy on use of force, mass demonstration, uh, consent before searches, gender identification, racial pro- profiling, and performance measures, I mean, I'd like a list of the agencies that don't have those right. uh, written policies. Granted, some do uh, fall out of compliance or um, don't tend to re- review their policies on a regular basis, but... I mean, you have private industry that's uh, in it um, to help with with that situation. So you have Police One. Mm-hmm. You have Police One training and education. Uh, you have Lexapol, which is another great resource. You have PERF and IACP re- recommendations of sample policies, up-to-date policies. So y- you have a lot of that happening, and a lot of it is free, so... The agencies that are not taking advantage of those things out there, I wonder how uh, effective the management and oversight is of those agencies. And so 
I'm asking, what about the DOJ? When will the Department of Justice go out in advance of a burning building and make recommendations? Uh, you know, be, be a dipstick uh, inspector, right? Go out to agencies and do some compliance checks and, and make suggestions for improvement before the headlines, before the um, questionable shooting or uh, incident that becomes a headline and and then it's people are reacting um, negatively or defensively when they come in. You know, one of the things that's pointed out um, in one of the documents that supports this uh, six pillars, it says, quote, I'm reading now, periodically review policies and procedures, conduct non-punitive peer reviews of critical incidents and establish civilian oversight mechanisms with their communities. Um, kind of doing all that already. <laughs> I've been to a bunch of debriefs uh, where a critical incident, you know, everything from the Dorner manhunt to, uh, you know, to, you know, recent uh, shootings and ma ma massacres like the one in the Pulse nightclub. Um, there are debriefs and the and even up to and including what one would consider in finger quotes, a more minor incident. Um, there are debriefs. There are investigations. There are multiple people looking at various you know, incidents. And, you know, I get to this, this civilian oversight or this, this um, uh, civilian oversight mechanisms. I would argue, and I have argued, I wrote, wrote about this some time ago on Police One, is that if you're going to have a civilian oversight board, that oversight board needs to be Force Science certified. They need to go to a five-day full-on certification course from Force Science Institute so that they actually know and understand the dynamics of, you know, rapidly unfolding, um, high stress, potentially deadly uh, force encounters. And it, if you have a civilian oversight board that doesn't have any understanding of the practice of doing policing, then you're, you're look at it this way. The FAA is consistent, uh, it consists of many pilots. You know, there are people who the AMA, the American Medical Association, consists of a great deal of medical personnel, whether they're nurses or doctors. Lawyers are judged by lawyers, you know, so you have to have, yes, if we're going to have civilian oversight, you have to have some education. Right. Absolutely. And going back a step to the conducting non-punitive peer review of critical incidents, debriefings are so important. But there's, there's a big caveat there. I, I, I think in the past, agencies have been reluctant to put debriefs on paper to cite problems with communication or um, unclear uh, orders or um, rules of engagement or things like that because they're fearful of um, tort claims mm -hmm. or, um, or, or some other sort of um, litigation that would put them... Um, it would force them to bring these reports mm. uh, to front. So um, if you make a mechanism that says we're going to have a debrief um, that's peer support um, for psych reasons um, to, to counsel people and debrief uh, from the position of um, PTSD recognition, Make that non-discoverable yeah. in in a in any kind of a legal action. Well, that has to be HIPAA compliant. I mean, that if you're dealing with a medical issue and the psychological psychological issues are medical issues, then that has to be HIPAA compliant. You know, you cannot have a, that type of documentation revealed to the general public or even to a, you know court proceedings. That is a medical 
procedure. Sure. Right. But otherwise, if you're talking about tactical issues, I think there 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 are provisions that say uh, you can keep some things out of the public eye if they are are related to tactics and special weapons that you don't want released to the public. I think um, I think that would be helpful. But then again. You're absolutely correct in saying that if you're going to use any civilian oversight, the civilians should be trained. And and I'll go a step further and say that there should be a sense of non-bias, that we we recently had a a situation in San Francisco with a blue ribbon panel uh, (laughs) with three judges and a bunch of other uh, individuals who... um, condemned the police department on on several fronts. And in my personal opinion and estimation, based on the track record of the individuals included, there was a bias and and there was, in a sense, some some witch hunting going on. And and I think if you want to have a a level playing field and a critical look without, um, without an end game in sight, that you're going to fire some cops or you're going to change policy or things like that. Um, accidents happen. Mistakes are made. Are, the, are those reasons to change policy or fire individuals? I think not. I think that every every case should be looked at individually. There should be a debrief. And then a critical eye has got to be given at policies and pr- procedures and tactics and training and education. And those are the things you look at when saying you want to fix a problem or fix something so that it doesn't occur again. Yeah, and one, one final thought on the, the notion of um, bringing more people to the table uh, when looking at the problem of um, creating or modifying or, or changing policies. Um, there's another group that absolutely has to be at the table, and that's the police officers' union. Uh, there, have, there has to be representation of the actual practitioners, uh, the law enforcement officers on the street, um, when talking about policies related to body-worn cameras, policies related to pursuits, policies related to use of force, policies related to fill in the blank. Every single policy has to have some level of involvement. Uh, not only, and yeah, okay, sure, bring some civilians, non-biased civilians to the table and say, well, what's your thinking on this? And then you have a couple of attorneys at the table. And what's your thinking on this? Prosecutors, what's your thinking on this? Police administrators, but also we've got to include the beat cops. Sure, absolutely. I, I do want to talk touch on uh, one of the bullets in Pillar 2, that is adopt identification procedures that implement scientifically supported practices that eliminate or minimize bias or influence. Totally agree. We're all human. We all have our own biases. Um, but I think um, we're, we're, we're making real headway and steps into looking at that and what we can do and how we can affect training. Um, Recently, I'd like to mention the the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing is having a conference in uh, May 22nd. Phoenix, right? Yeah, Phoenix at uh, the Arizona State University. And uh, among the speakers is Ed Flynn, chief of uh, the Milwaukee Police, uh, academics, police chiefs. You have practitioners and you have people from the academic world who can tell you... uh, Take a look at things. Use evidence-based policing. Uh, we know trial and error is a bad way to go with uh, with policing operations. Um, hear from the experts. I mean, th- this is a good opportunity. Uh, go online and check it out. ASEPB and um, 
it could be a start for your agency. Yeah, and if you get if you get the opportunity to travel out there, I think that uh, you know there's there either a spot still available for the conference if you're able to attend. Um, it's going to be my um, my every effort to try and get out to it, uh, and I'll do what I can to report on it. And we're going to have some of these folks uh, as guests on the Police One uh, Policing Matters podcast um, following the conference. So this is a topic we're going to revisit a few times. Yeah, and I, I plan to go. It's uh, the panels include. Uh, uh, Issues of evidence-based policing, body-worn cameras, procedural justice, improving police legitimacy, uh, mental health, de-escalation, use of force, and so on. So they're going to be talking about things that funnel right into the six pillars. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, Two pillars down, Jim. We've got four more to go. Uh, We'll be back next Friday with the Policing, uh, Policing Matters podcast. Thanks for listening.